Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraf, and I'm here with Sarah Masaryk, and we have Tanya Arnold from BiblioGuides with us here today, but our highlight is our library ladies. We have Sandy Hall, Kathleen Seeger, and Christy Stansfield. Diane, we're really thrilled to have the Library Ladies come back today to continue in our Forgotten Books series. This series of podcasts that we are doing give us the opportunity to consult these librarians who have read a lot of books and who know about a lot of books, many of which have kind of disappeared from people's general knowledge of them. And so what we love about this series is it's an opportunity for us to discover books that we might not have ever known about or may have forgotten about. And so today's forgotten book topic is historical fiction. Now, this was a very favorite topic. This is one that just about everybody we know has a couple of books in mind that they love for this topic. And we've asked our library ladies to make sure that it was, as usual, a book that they've read so they can really speak to why they like this book. And We've asked them to find a book that is gettable. So it's a book that if it's not actively in print, it's been recently in print. There's a lot of volumes out there. And so that this isn't one where you have to go and and, uh, work too hard to find. So Tanya, I know that at BiblioGuides, you guys have to make decisions all the time about what topic or heading or category a book might fall under. Historical fiction is a pretty broad topic. And I know when I was looking at my lending library, I began to question, is Understood Betsy a historical fiction novel? I mean, it's it's set in a very clear historical period. Is that not? What about some of these other books from Bethlehem Books? Are they historical fiction? And so I know I came to you guys and I came to the library ladies asking for help. How do you, Tanya, describe historical fiction? What What makes that qualify for you? Yeah, that's a great question. So genre is a very complicated idea in and of itself. And there's hundreds and hundreds of genres actually inside of any of the bigger ones Mm -hmm. that you think of. So there's subgenres for all the major genres. So when you're looking at how best to categorize a book, one of the benefits for BiblioGuides that a library doesn't have is that oftentimes a library, a physical library has to decide where in my library am I actually going to house this book? Right. What shelf is it going to sit on? Yeah. So you might feel like it's biography, but also history. Mm -hmm. So is it more biographical or is it more historical? For BiblioGuides, because we are an online database, we can multi-select genres. So sometimes we can say, well, it's biography and history. Mm -hmm. And so based on how someone's doing a search, it might show up for them in either Ah. place. So we have some flexibility because of the medium that we operate in. So Sometimes for historical fiction, we might also say it's adventure also, or it's science also. Mm -hmm. Maybe the person is meeting with Louis Pasteur or something, right? And so we might say it's historical fiction and fiction and science. But as far as historical fiction goes, a few of the defining factors that we look for is that it's set in a recognizable place that can be seen as an event. And an event can be pretty broad. Event doesn't necessarily have to mean this was an event that took place from this month to this month or this year to this year. It could be something as broad as westward expansion. Right. So we might say a lot of the pioneer stories where they're settling the Mm -hmm. West or they're moving across the Oregon Mm -hmm. Trail would count as historical fiction because that is an 
a long-term event that's set in a specific time and place that's highly recognizable. On the other hand, we have a lot of books that are just set in the 1950s and it's just families living their lives. And it's clear that it's 1950, maybe based on the cars or where they shop Mm -hmm. or the ideology that you find in the book, but it's it doesn't really draw upon history for sure. you. It doesn't teach you anything necessarily about history other than it teaches you that a different time and place had different ideas. So that type of book we would only identify as fiction. And again, I think it's kind of a personal decision. <laughs> I think there's a lot of creativity that can come into deciding whether or not it might be historical fiction. And I know there's some people that have a lot of other ideas. I heard Jan Bloom speak one time and she said – well, she was even speaking about biographies, but she said there was biographical fiction and fictionalized biography. Oh my There's a difference. And there could be <laughs> historical fiction. Yes, historical fiction and fictionalized history. Wow. <laughs> and so I was like, wow, like there's a lot of different ways based on what the prominent features of the story sure. are. So that was really thought provoking to think about. And I think all of the library ladies here probably have a few different ideas on what historical fiction means to them and maybe how they make those determinations for where a book might be housed in their library. Yes. So like, for example, Sandy, I think you were sharing with us that you were trying to create a definition for historical fiction. I came up with just something really simple that there has to be an actual place and historical event and perhaps an important historical figure that plays a part, an important part in the story. And that does make it hard. Like, I don't have little women in my historical fiction, even though that is a specific time period. But that story is more about their family life rather than bringing all the events of that historical time period into play. I do have a beautiful collection of books about books, books about children's literature. And I pulled out Children and Books, the ninth edition by Zena Sutherland. And she says, what is the value of historical fiction for the child of today? The past is not simply a listing of dates and events as important and momentous as these may be. The past is people and how people manage to live and love and find joy and accomplishment, whatever the times. The historical novel clothes the bare historical facts with the trappings of a thousand tiny details. I love that bringing emotion and insight to scholarship. Children learn facts in social studies and history. It is the interpretation of the facts in historical fiction that makes them feel we were we there. Were exactly. There. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that great? <laughs> that brings the difference. It's just bringing yeah. to life an event or a person. I love that. My family purchased all of the He Went With books that Anthony at Living Books Press has just re-released or republished. And we are reading He Went With Vasco da Gama. And it is just absolutely amazing the way that these these fictional little boys who are going with Vasco da Gama, it is just amazing how much life they breathe into this story to make Vasco da Gama's life really fascinating and compelling. So... This is definitely a favorite area for me. I particularly love to use this 
in supplementation of whatever we are doing in history. Or for us in our homeschool right now, we're using the He Went With books in order to supplement or basically be our spine for geography. So we'll take what we're doing and He Went With and then go and look at it on the map and and go and look at YouTube videos of the actual places and do that kind of thing. But using this novel as sort of our, our guiding force through this period of time and place. I wanted to say that my historical fiction, I don't know if the other librarians have done this, but I have my historical fiction pulled out separate from my fiction section. And the historical fiction are in chronological mm-hmm. order, as close as I can get to the time, the date the book begins. And then those are all listed on the spine so that any family coming in that's studying any time period, I can pull. And thanks to you and the other librarians who have said similar things. When I was setting up our lending library, I put all of my nonfiction in chronological order. I have shelves that are dedicated to particular decades or periods of time or momentous events like World War II. And then on a whole different case, I have shelf by shelf all of the historical fiction also in chronological order. And so that, yeah, if you want it, World War II nonfiction over here, World War II historical fiction over here. I love that. I appreciate you ladies so very much. I've learned so many tips and tricks from you. And I think any homeschool mom, you don't have to be having a lending library. You can just be a homeschool mom. And and this might be a fun way for you and your children to get a greater sense of timeline just by the way you organize your own books on your shelf. So with that, Let's dig into this. So today we have three librarians. They each have a book. We have two books that are kind of more boyish and one that's more girlish. So Kathleen, can you start us off? You have the girl book. Tell us what your book is Mm -hmm. and, and why you love it. Of course. I chose for my book, Behold Your Queen by Gladys Malvern. And it was written quite a long time ago, I think 1951 or 50, yeah, 1951 is the copyright date. Gladys Malvern wrote a lot of historical fiction, some of it based on biblical figures. Mm -hmm. So I know people can get a little touchy sometimes about historical fiction based Mm -hmm. on a biblical time. Sure. So of course, you're not going to read this book to be um, a nonfiction book about it's not a the high truth of whatever yeah. happened at that time. And not it is a high geography. For young people. Yeah. So it maybe leaves out some of those a little more particular details that we um, can be revealed to our children when they're adults. Yes. Um, but I read this book quite a long time ago and I loved it. And mm-hmm. I have heard many, many ladies say, oh, I read that when I was, you know, a teenager from my library or my high school library. And I read it over and over. And I think it's delightful. So I reread it this week, of course, (laughs) for this podcast. Mm -hmm. Gladys Malvern, she also was an actress, had a a greater professional life than just a writer. Mm -hmm. In her bio on the back, just this little sentence says, in her stage work and in her fashion shows, Gladys Malvern knew many audiences, but she insisted that her favorite of all was the young people for whom she wrote. And I just think that is so sweet because once again, we really want the authors that our children are reading, like we want those authors to love our kids really essentially and know that they're trying to invest in them and broaden their minds and their hearts and their lives. 
So that's why I love historical fiction and this book, because just like biographies, more than a nonfiction book, and even I read the book of Esther from the Bible today Mm -hmm. to refresh my mind too, you don't necessarily get that broadness of their character that really shows kids, how do we live out these ideas in our mind? We know Mm -hmm. Esther was courageous in the Bible, that she had to be brave, but how can we imagine how that could flesh out in her life and our lives? So that's that was beautiful in this book, that in this book it's fleshed out, that Mordecai yeah. raised her to be a lovely young lady, that he raised her to care about her demeanor and how she treated people, that he raised her to take care of herself and not be focused on her beauty, mm-hmm. and that why the king chose her above she in the book, she is number like 340 of the (laughs) women who go in to see, uh, he's Azurus in this book, that he chose her because even though he's getting weary of seeing all these beautiful women, that she was the one who was genuine and cared for his weariness and that he could see her character, that it wasn't just that she was beautiful, that he could see that she was a beautiful person on the inside. Mm. So, and that is fleshed all through the book as we would expect a woman that God would choose to to be in such a place. I read a few Goodreads reviews of this book. And of course, some people are like, oh, it's a little bit like too nice. All the characters are so nice. It's so perfect. (laughs) But it's written for young people, for one. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't need to, it's not supposed to be this gritty expose. (laughs) It's supposed to be a beautiful book that really encourages our children and points them to truth and beauty. Mm -hmm. And I think it does it well. I led a Sunday school class where we read through the entire book of Esther over a few months with fourth and fifth graders. And this would be a great follow-up to try to kind of learn that discernment of, you know, reading the actual book from the Bible, reading the historical fiction for a young teen um, Mm -hmm. and and kind of comparing. The story is not completely accurate in Behold Your Queen, but um, teenagers certainly are, and even older elementary schoolers are certainly um, capable of discerning that out. And it would make great family discussion um, and thoughts of goodness and really just how, how would we have felt in that situation? And would we have been able to do these things? And how could we have to do those things in our lives today. So um, I just love it. It's a beautiful book. What that kind of reminds me of, and I know that people have differing opinions on this and that's okay. I'm just going to share kind of my opinion. Wait, are we allowed to have different opinions? (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Just teasing. But (laughs) but Kathleen, you're talking about taking a biblical figure and, and doing historical fiction with it. And from what you're saying, what it sounds like is this medium helps bring that to Mm -hmm. life, helps make it real, and helps the reader, especially a young reader, feel like they're there. And I think for me, it's similar to like The Chosen right now. Right. Yes. The Chosen is a little bit of a different medium. And I don't think anybody should be taking The Chosen as scripture, obviously, right? right? It's (laughs) It's fictionalized, right? But it does have the ability to really help you feel as if you can relate to characters that maybe felt a little bit more afar Mm -hmm. from you. And especially when it's like Old Testament, it can feel really Mm -hmm. far away. And I think the writing that Gladys had was so engaging. 
as you were saying, because she was an actress, she grew up storytelling. Mm -hmm. That was what she did from the time she was very little. I read a quote somewhere where she said, I left home when I was about four or five. And I thought, wait, what? (laughs) And what she said was, (laughs) is that she was part of a traveling theatrical company with her family. And so she didn't ever have a home. And she kind of dreamt of that. Like, what would it be like to live at home and have a place where you had bookshelves and books? And But she grew up with this storytelling, and as did her little sister. And there was one quote I wanted to read to you guys that I think is so fun about her. At some point, she started writing for radio. So this is kind of about her love for writing for young adults. She said, then I started writing for radio. And after I'd done it for about two years, I decided that wasn't very much fun. It was about this time that I wrote Dancing Star, which is a book. It's a Messner biography about Anna Pavlova. My, my first book for the young adult crowd. I've been happily writing for this group ever since, and I want to go on writing for them as long as they'll let me. Oh, "Oh, you're lovely. (laughs) I haven't read this one, but my mom read it about a few months ago, and she went on Mm. and on and on about that the writing was so just beautiful and lovely Mm. and engaging, and she just thought every young woman should put this story into their Mm. repertoire. All three of my daughters have read it. Here's this one little paragraph that will show the beauty of her writing. And this is when Ahasuerus is contemplating in the middle of the night. It says, Outside, a full moon silvered the leaves of the olive trees and illumined every path. The radiant silence beyond the open windows was broken now and then by a nightingale's song. As the scribe's voice went on and on in a monotonous drone, Ahasuerus turned his eyes toward the window and lost himself in the beauty of the night, its serenity and orderliness. Smiling appreciatively at the beauty of the world and the languorous magic of the night, he settled back more comfortably in his chair. Finally, he watched the dark receding. At first, faintly and furtively, a wan gray light appeared in the east. As the scribe continued to read, the king closed his eyes. Then suddenly, the eyes opened again. And what he'd heard was the scribe reading Mordecai's name. And so then it kind of takes that little twist, like, oh, Mordecai, I forgot to reward him. So, but you know, that's that little, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a disturbing night, the scribes reading to me. And this is how, just like little moments of really lovely descriptive writing that just bring you into the moments, the characters and the the true um, people did experience. Lovely, lovely. So now we're going to fast forward through time and go from biblical history straight up to when. Christy, when is your book set and what is your book? My book is called Tuckett's Travels, Francis Tuckett's Adventures in the West, 1847 to 1849. Nice. So this takes place in the West during the time of the Oregon Trail. But before the Civil War era, before the post-Civil War era, when there were a lot of Indian troubles, Mm. and um, this is the adventures of a 14-year-old boy who celebrates his birthday on the Oregon Trail, and he receives a rifle, his first rifle, Mm. for his birthday, and his father had it specially made for him. And so it was smaller, not some big long rifle had it specially made for him and he was at his father's suggestion 
waiting until the wagon train moved on. And then he was coming up behind and practicing using his new rifle. And as any young person might, he sort of got distracted by the wonder and glory of shooting at buffalo chips and (laughs) got captured and kidnapped by a Pawnee Indian tribe. Oh, wow. And that is the roller coaster that starts with his adventures. And just this week again, just reread the whole series. And I did it by reading the audiobooks, listening to the audiobooks. Excellent. They were narrated by John Randolph Jones, and he did a perfect job. Mm, They are all so, so good. He he does different voices, but not in a way that you notice so mm-hmm. much, mm-hmm. but you know exactly who's, who's talking. talking. I love that. He's got he's there's a mountain man, there are comancheros, there are uh, bandits. That, so this young man now travels throughout the West trying to find his way back to the wagon train, to the Oregon Trail. He knows where his parents are going, sort of. Gary Paulson wrote this book as a sort of composite of things that actually happened to people in the West during that time, but he just had them happen to Francis Tuckett and the people that he met. And, you know, it's a great adventure. There's something happens and then something happens and then you go, okay, wonder what's going to happen next and something happens next <laughs> and and then you think how is he going to get out of this and something happens mm. and it just kind of carries you along i discovered this book back in the early 2000s now when i was listening to the first audiobook included at the end of that was an audio interview with gary paulson Oh, about this book. I had no idea. I had not heard this before. I had no idea that he wrote the first book called Mr. Tuckett in 1969. Wow. And then in 1994, the publisher decided to reissue this book. So he changed a couple of things. He just tightened it up a little bit. Now he felt like he was going to write some sequels to it. So I didn't realize that the whole thing wasn't written from the very beginning. In one but then he wrote four additional volumes, but they're all really short. Mm. So you can buy all five in one book, or you can find them as separate books, which is how I found most of mine. But because it didn't have a lot of readers at home, and we spent a lot of time in the car, we started with the audiobooks, And they were a hit in our home. And then anybody I told about, because of course, when you find something really good, you got to tell somebody tell about everybody. It. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I would tell them. And so our public libraries had all of the audiobooks, And of course, they were the CDs at that time. And so I would tell people, make sure that if you're going to listen to this, check out all the books at once before you start, because when you start, you are not going to want to stop. <laughs> and that's exactly how it worked for everybody that listened oh, to this series. <laughs> He's a good guy learning his way. You know, Mm -hmm. they were farmers in Missouri, so he really didn't know a whole lot. At one point early on, he was asked if he could ride, because I don't want to tell anything about this, really. 
Right. No, because don't. <laughs> that just gives it all away. Exactly. But he was asked if he could ride and he said yes. Well, he had ridden the farm animal oh. that was pulling the plow <laughs> a little bit. You and that know. is not riding. That, that's not riding. He didn't really know how to shoot, but he felt like he knew how to shoot. <laughs> and it's a coming of age story mm-hmm. in the West in a way that's not annoying. <laughs> Because, because now, see, our listeners, this is going to air a long time after <laughs> what we just recorded two days ago, which is Christy telling us how much she finds coming-of-age stories to be painful and annoying <laughs> from our Enchantress. This reference is from our Enchantress from the Stars Book Club. You really need to go check that out, friends. Yes. <laughs> it's a very fun book club. <laughs> it was. And what wasn't in Enchantress in the Stars is... In Tuckett's Travels, and that is Pirates. <laughs> and this is Christie's trademark. <laughs> but there are all kinds of really fun adventures, but some hard times too. Yeah. At the end of the last book, then, there is an author's note, and I think it sort of summarizes his thoughts from the interview that he did when they uh. reissued the book. And he talks about, you know, some people have said that these were really, some of these were really hard topics. Mm -hmm. But I think that he approached them in a way that would not be traumatic Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. even a little bit younger reader, because I had older boys and younger boys. We had elementary age children all the way up to high school children listening to these books. And I would say that they're tough because tough things happened. Right. But they are not graphic at all and very enjoyable. And, you know, Gary Paulson had a lot of experiences, survival type experiences that Mm -hmm. he wrote about in his more modern novels. Mm -hmm. And so in some of what Francis is doing, you, you really do feel like you're there because you know that Gary Paulson did some of these things. He shot some of those types of rifles and he trapped beaver in some of the ways that they trapped in those mm-hmm. times so mm-hmm. um that just adds that little bit of extra authenticity, authenticity yeah. to it so mm-hmm. even though you know he's making up a good story it does lend that authenticity to it just a rollicking good time <laughs> and he wrote about this time period because he felt like cowboys were given a lot in movies and yes. TV and, yes. and you know, captured people's imaginations, but there was very little written about this small little time period. Mm. He just wanted to highlight that time period. And he, I think he did a really great job. I find that interesting that you said that he chose to write about this like specific kind of historical time or event that was not written much about because the only Paulson book I have in my library right now, I'll get the Tucket books too, but because I don't love his writing generally, right. but Woods Runner, I actually really enjoyed. And it is also about a very specific and unique piece of history of the American Revolution where British soldiers kidnapped settlers and made them serve the British army Mm. on 
what is now American oh, soil. That and, sounds really and good. And so he wrote a book. And so the book is about a child who goes and saves his parents, essentially. And so, but that's why he also wrote that book is because he felt that was a book that did not have other books written about that specific topic. Wow. So that's great. You know what I don't like about his modern books, you know, the ones that everybody thinks about, like Hatchet and so on, is that it has such modern problems. It's morally gritty. And so I don't appreciate the writing because I don't appreciate the moral spectrum of the book. But it sounds like when he's putting these characters in other time periods, he's embracing those values and his writing is showcasing that which is worth showcasing. So I find that very intriguing. And I also am really excited, Christy, because it's very difficult sometimes for some moms to find books that boys will just read and read and read that aren't trash or aren't overly simple or something like that. It sounds to me like this is one of those books that you could hook a boy and really keep him fed on something worthy of reading and, um, you know, kind of stretch out that reading experience for a boy. So this could be a really valuable resource. Yeah, absolutely. Those boys who will look at a thick book Mm -hmm. and say, oh, no way. I'm not going there. Mm -hmm. You can find the separate volumes and hand him one of those. And then he'll want another one (laughs) and another one. (laughs) But really, the audios just bring that whole thing to life. He does such a good job. So now, what I love is I just got done reading the book that Sandy's going to talk about. And Sandy, I know you've seen it too. There's some strong overlap here between these two books, both kind of in time period. We got a very admirable boy with a gun. So, Sandy, tell us about your book. Well, as I'm listening to Christy, I'm thinking maybe my character, his grandson, was that character (laughs) because it is like. 42 years later in this and my character sets out from Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. to Missouri and your character takes off from Missouri and goes further west so that is that's an interesting and what a great timeline right like if you were to plunk these down on a timeline you could see history unfolding I love it yes that's great absolutely okay I wrote mine out so I'm gonna read it pirates Native Americans capture and rescue treasure, buffalo hunting, and even killing an attacking bear with just a knife. Now there's a combination of exciting (laughs) events for a story. Down the Big River by Stephen W. Meter is a story of travel, adventure, danger, and rescue, and is set in the early 19th century during the time of very early westward expansion in America. I have 25 books by Stephen Meter. His 40-plus books are fiction, upper elementary and up reading level, and many are set in an exact actual historical time period. Stephen Meter was an American author who was born in 1892 and died in 1977. Many of his books have been reprinted. Purple House Press has recently reprinted Down the Big River, and I Mm -hmm. hope they will do many more. On the Southern Skies website, Meter is quoted as saying, I think I developed the idea after publishing about 20 books that I had a mission, and that mission was to cover all of America, all of the periods that were adventurous and romantic and hadn't been written about, and all the, to me, fascinating Mm. places. 
Many of Meter's books can be read on Internet Archive, and BiblioGuide's website gives the links to those. The Southern Sky website also records that if you look over the list of Meter's books, they cover the United States from Maine mm -hmm. to Hawaii, Puget Sound to Florida. Meter states, what I wanted to do is give children from sixth grade on a chance to open their minds to the bigness mm. of the country and the richness of its history, and that has been my aim. I think a lot of kids have developed some of that feel. They have enlarged their horizons, and if I have done anything that is worthwhile in this, in this life, mm. that is it. The story I chose, Down the Big River, was first published in 1924 and is historical fiction taking place in the year 1805. The story has exciting action right from the start in the first few pages with an unprovoked fight on the riverbanks near Pittsburgh as Tom Lockwood and his aunt and uncle journey westward from their Pennsylvania farm to join friends living in Missouri. As they make their way down the Ohio River, the family is taken captive by river pirates, Christy. <laughs> With the help of his faithful dog, Cub, every story should have a faithful dog. Yes, it should. <laughs> and some friends he meets along the way. Tom, who escaped, sets out to rescue them with courage, determination, and a little bit of luck. For those of you who might read this aloud to your family, it would be fun to get out a U.S. map from the time period and trace their journey to combine fiction mm -hmm. with geography. I can highly recommend Meter's books, especially for boys in those middle school years. The Southern Skies website tells that by the time Meter finished his last novel in 1969, the world of the 1970s youth involved contemporary mm -hmm. subject matter. Yep. Harcourt, the publisher, indicated that they would not be publishing any additional of Meter's novels and Meter decided that he didn't really want to try to change his style to match the times. According to his son, John, he did some writing for Cape May Historical Society in New Jersey, but that was about all. By then, he was well into his 70s and content to relax mm -hmm. and read. The BiblioGuide's website quotes Chesley Howard Looney in her dissertation titled Stephen W. Meter, His Contributions to American Children's Literature, and I quote, Values that Meter expressed in his books, such as self-reliance, patriotism, courage, doing the right thing, working diligently, loyalty, mm -hmm. community, free enterprise and entrepreneurialism, and taking care of oneself and one family are important in American society. And I can say that all of those themes are present in Meter's book, Down the Big River. Oh, it's such a good story. It is such a good story. And Christy, there's treasure too. <laughs> Gotta have treasure. Got, if you right. have pirates. <laughs> you got pirates, yeah. So you have river pirates and I have land pirates. So all kinds of pirates. All kinds of pirates. <laughs> I loved reading this book out loud with my children. I loved the voices and I loved the rich texture of the language and the descriptive value. You really felt like you could picture yourself there. I love what you're sharing here, Sandy, with Meter. Meter is one of 
our favorite authors too at BiblioGuides. We think he has a lot of value. And a lot of the quotes you shared are some things that we have on the site as well. And I think it's interesting because Kathleen brought a really beautiful Mm -hmm. option for girls. There might be a love story or a component and love in multiple ways, but it's this heroine with courage and beauty and strength, right? right? Dignity. Dignity. Mm -hmm. A girl can stand in it and think, was I born for such a time as this? Right. Right. Yes. It's like the perfect story. (laughs) (laughs) It's the perfect story. So then Christy and Sandy both brought really excellent stories, but from two diversely different authors. So both were quite prolific. Gary Paulson having written like 200 plus books, plus all of these articles and Mm -hmm. whatnot. Meter wrote a ton. Meter was not a trained author. This was like a hobby that he did on the (laughs) side. And he wrote from two things, his experiences as a child and the things that he loved. And I read in I think something about the author or maybe one of the junior books of authors that he loved pirates. (laughs) Christy, I just wanted you to know that. He did. And that was one of his first books was to write about pirates. It's got it launched him. What's not to love about pirates? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know that we would wholeheartedly recommend all of Gary Paulson's books. Where I think we could wholeheartedly recommend Stephen Mm -hmm. Meter's books because of what his personal values were and what he was writing for. I want to tie this question in then to Sarah and Diane. Plumfield and Paideia, while you love books for both boys and girls, you really love to bring great stories for boys. And don't you feel that it is really, really challenging as a Mm -hmm. mom to find good books for boys unless you're kind of going back to the golden age of children's literature? Mm -hmm. There are some now, but it became less and less and less. And there's value to looking at someone like Gary Paulson and picking and choosing and saying, here's the ones that we think are the gems. I'm comparing and contrasting the two types of stories that were brought specifically for boys Mm -hmm. today. Like they're very similar in their style and theme, but from two different types of authors. And so when you guys are looking for the boy books to recommend and the ones that you think are really important to tell, like how are you making those decisions? Well, and it's interesting too, because Diane and I love boys. We're boy moms. She's a boy grandma. There are girls in our lives who we treasure, but God gave us a lot of boys and we love boys and we love how boys think and work. You know, Chesterton says a boy is noise with dirt on it. (laughs) (laughs) And I I delight in that. I I love boyishness and I, I like boys who build castles and knock them down because that's what they're made to do. But when you go to our website and you look at our beloved authors, nearly all of them actually wrote for girls. And yet we still are really much boy mom advocates and boy book advocates. But I just, when you say that, Tanya, like this is how hard it is for us to choose wholeheartedly a boy author who we consider trustworthy. Well, I think one reason for that is that the pool is really small because you kind of go from Robert Louis Stevenson to Walter the Farting Dog. Very quickly. Yeah, yes. And you don't have a lot of the male writers writing for eight and nine-year-old boys. Robert Louis Stevenson, maybe eight and nine-year-old boys liked him when he was writing, but most Mm -hmm. of the boys I know at that age can't really understand those. So a a lot of the old authors that we would love to recommend, you can't really do that until they get a little bit older. And and so there Mm -hmm. is this, there's a big gap. Boys at the ages that are hard to find books for, there just aren't very many. And that's why we end up with all our beloved authors are women, because Mm -hmm. they're the ones who were doing it. (laughs) Women really wrote stories that for boys and girls, because I think the the maternal influence there, the maternal desire to elevate 
quality life for boys and girls together. Yeah, I think, you know, Elcott writes about boys just as well as she does girls. But I think one of the things that Diane and I have always talked about since the very, very earliest days of our writing is that boys are less inclined towards fiction in their younger years, and they are more bent towards nonfiction. And so that's why we really treasure David Macaulay or David Weitzman. We think boys really like to know how things work or who people were. Um, my son, Jack, who is 11, he just cannot stop reading all of the landmark and signature books about war and conquest. And so particular authors, other than, say, Sterling North, there aren't a lot. But general genres, I think for boys, we generally point them into genres more than authors. Yeah. And I think that's why living books really work, because a lot of times that's not necessarily nonfiction. Right. 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 Yes. Because biographies and history can be living history and be nonfiction, but also be told in such an engaging way. When moms are just so discouraged, yes. what should I give my boy next? <laughs> Today is showing you that there's forgotten hidden books mm -hmm. that you don't know about that are there's just and there's a lot of them, actually. They may not be written by men, but there are a lot. Would you guys and agree? A perfect example is Louise Andrews Kent is a woman, but her when he went with books are marvelous. And we're doing an actual episode on on her books. Those boys eat up. Those boys would love. There really aren't a lot of people writing decent books for boys. They just think that boys aren't interested in reading. So we have to do all these extreme things for them and forget mm -hmm. that you can write for boys and have them doing courageous things learning integrity, like with um, Ralph Moody and his dad talking about, you know, tearing mm -hmm. his house apart. I didn't discover that book until after my kids were grown. And I just about cried when I read it, thinking how, how much yeah. we would have liked it, reading it together. But I think of things like one of the books that I almost always recommend to boys now is Lee Pike Ridge. That's yes. very new. But here's this. Yes. Is, there's not much better than near-death experiences and really, really bad guys. But the boy... He stays mm -hmm. true to the principles that he's learned from his parents, surrounded mm -hmm. by near death mm -hmm. and really bad guys. And the only the only meter book I ever read was just I was looking through our library to see if I had if they had any, and it was the Black Buccaneer. And what struck mm. me about that one was here's a boy, he gets stolen by pirates, he has every temptation to become like them. It would be so much right. easier, and he will not do it. And of course, mm -hmm. in the end, he's he's rewarded for that. There really is a very small number of books written for boys now. So we almost have to go back and look for those right. people who were, were writing with the purpose of showing boys how to be men. I think that when Harcourt said that they were not going to publish Meter anymore unless he started writing for the Times, I think that that probably happened to a lot of authors, male or female. And I think it's it was... Dr. Dobson said that it, there was a cultural attack starting in the 60s. There was a cultural attack mm -hmm. on boys mm -hmm. to demasculinize them, to feminize them so as to weaken them, so as to be able to make them more compliant. And that literature that stimulated their senses was so much better because it would make them hungry and addicted for that kind of stimulation instead of the, the real meat that we see in these older, better books. And I just want to say, yeah. so that kind of brings us full circle. Sometimes you're thinking, right. like Sarah, you're saying, boys do want a lot of things that are nonfiction, but the perfect blend for them oftentimes and for yes. girls 
that really brings it to life is historical fiction. It's why it's such a beloved genre. And it's one that we all, like, I think all of us even love it, right? We want to read historical fiction. And so (laughs) I think you ladies even went and reread because there's no loss there to go read one of those fun historical fiction books the week of the podcast. So it just seems to be a, a beautiful genre with a lot of excellent authors from that time period before about 1965, 1970, mm-hmm. that were writing great stuff that do need to be brought forth. And parents need to know that so much of it is still available and in yes. print. Yes, or available yeah. to read online. Yeah. So there are options for reading this. Yeah. And so while they are lost, they're only lost because of our ignorance. I say that my ignorance, my personal ignorance, I don't know all these names. And so I can't know to reach for those. But the more we can do to help each other know about that, the more we realize these are very accessible and we just need to get our hands on them. And I just, a a quick word about girls. Mamas, we are not in any way suggesting that boys are better than girls or that we care more about boys than girls. It's just that girls naturally take to reading generally easier than boys do. And this is, again, not a disparagement of boys either. We're simply acknowledging the way that God has made boys to be very active and busy and hands-on and very curious about the world. Girls are a little more, uh, as a general class, girls are a little more in the more inclined towards reading and getting lost in a story. And so we really believe that both men and women, boys and girls, are created to equally love to read. It's just that the way into books might be a little different. And that's why we care so much about helping moms find that way in for their boys. Ladies, thank you so much for being here today. Christy Stansfield and Kathleen Seeger, Sandy Hall, our librarians, and Tanya Arnold from BiblioGuides. Ladies, I am particularly glad that we did this episode. I think historical fiction is such a wonderful, wonderful genre because it has so many uses. It can just be enjoyed for itself. It can be used to encourage reluctant readers. It can be used to supplement whatever you're doing in your homeschool. And it usually makes marvelous read aloud and can bind a family together with shared stories. So this is a great topic. You know, we can only feature three books in this particular episode, but this is a topic that we talk about a lot and we'll continue to talk about on our website and on these librarians' pages and their sites. So just keep checking back and feel free to ask us questions. We would love for you to come and talk to us. Ask us questions about these authors or if you know of really great authors in this style, we want to know about it. So join us either on our Facebook page or even better yet, join us in the free BiblioGuides online community. There's a Plumfield Reads group, and we'd love to have you join us there. So ladies, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being on this exciting journey with us. It is a, uh, it has, we really had no idea what this podcast would be. And it, as it continues to grow and evolve, and you've been such an instrumental part of that, it's really been a gift and a treasure to us and I hope to our listeners. So we will see you again. Until next time, friends. 